Open up to Acts chapter 9 if you have a Bible. So glad that you're here to worship with us this morning at Emmanuel. Uh, today is a very busy day. Uh, it's a very special day and that this afternoon we're going to have our annual men's cake bake. And so this is a fundraiser that we do to help raise funds for our teenagers to go to church camp this summer. And so um, just wanted to let you know about something special that's going to happen this afternoon. Several months ago, I actually bought this for Landon's birthday. <clears throat> and I know when I received it in the mail, I was so excited that I couldn't wait for his birthday. So I went ahead and gave it to him early. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun thing to get for him. Uh, and Landon got on social media. And when he got on social media, he posted, he was sharing with everyone uh, this great spectacle of greatness that I um, purchased for him. And he, while talking about this, made the comment that everyone Sunday morning, the first hundred people get to, and then he paused. And this pause caused many of you to turn your ears off and you immediately went to, i got to get to church early on Sunday. I'm going to get a bobblehead. And he went on to say, you get to hear a great sermon. Some of you did not hear that part, but you heard you're going to get a free bobblehead. Uh, I'm not naming any names, but there was a lot of people early that Sunday to worship. don't want to name names. And some of you were very disappointed when you got to church on Sunday and there was not free bobbleheads to be given away. That was probably one of the biggest early services that we've ever had. However, I do have some good news for you. This afternoon at the Cake Bake, if you purchase my cake, this will be your cake topper. <laughs> Just to give you a little bit of a warning, there's only three of these. Landon has one. Brooke has one, in which my wife said that she had to put it behind her in her office because she didn't want Landon staring at her all day while she worked. <laughs> Whatever that's supposed to mean. However, there will be one of you who are lucky enough to get to take a Landon Coleman bobblehead home this afternoon at the Cake Bake. We'll get to see how much a Landon Coleman bobblehead is really worth. I will give you fair warning. There have already been two people contact me that are out of town that said, we want the bobblehead. And I said, well, you're going to have to find someone else to bid for you because I'm the auctioneer. So uh, there will be people from out of town already uh, bidding against you for this bobblehead. The cake, it'll be okay. The bobblehead, be worth the price of admission. You're all welcome. I will say this, now as important as the cake bake is, and as important as some of you think that having a Landon Coleman bobblehead will be to have in your collection of bobbleheads, uh, it is not going to make an impact on human history. It may make human history a little bit better, but realistically, it's not going to impact human hi history of owning a Landon Coleman bobblehead. There are a few dates that we can think of pretty quickly in America that would uh, cause us to say that this dates impacted human history. The first one would be July 4th, 1776. We know that this, was, this is a day that we will celebrate in a few weeks. This is a day where we got our independence. 
And so we celebrate that every year. December 7th, 1941. A day which will live in infamy. This is a day that uh, a lot of people remember. Some of you may have been alive at that time. Some of you may not. But uh, this was a day that changed human history, especially for us living in America. What about September 11th, 2001? I thought it was funny a few years ago when they shared that every person now in school was not alive when that happened. It seems like that was just yesterday when it happened to me. I guess that happens when you get older, right? But the events that took place on September 11th, they impacted human history. A lot of things have unfolded since then. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, 2020, we've just lived past uh, a little bit of a pandemic. Uh, COVID-19 and what that has done to our society, to our world. It's impacted human history. And this is something that we are living through currently that our grandchildren are going to talk about uh, for decades to come. This is something that has impacted human history. If I were to tell you to all come up with a list, five dates that have impacted your life, that have truly impacted maybe even... uh, the world that we live in impacted human history. Even if you're not a Christ follower, even if you don't believe in Jesus, I think you would have to say that Christmas is right up there uh, on the top five list. I mean, if you think about it, this is how we determine the, how we count years. It's been about 2022 years since Christ was born. This is how we date calendars. This is how we count the days that we live in. Christmas would be right up, right up there. I know a lot of people in our world today try to take Jesus out of Christmas. But the truth is, it was an event that took place that has impacted human history. If you are a believer, it would be very hard for us not to put the death and resurrection of Jesus right there towards the top of the list. <clears throat> if not number one on the top of the list. It should change how we live. It's impacted human history. But what would be next? We think about events that have taken place in our lives, in our, the history of, the, of all of humanity. What would be on your list? And I think the story that we're going to look at this morning would definitely should make the top 10 list of dates that impacted human history. And we're going to talk this morning about the conversion of Saul. And how appropriate that we started off our sermon this morning, our our service this morning, singing, I saw the light. Because Saul, quite literally, is going to see the light this morning. Which leads us to our big idea. It's the same big idea that we had Wednesday night. God works in amazing ways to save unlikely people. God works in amazing ways to save unlikely people. So if you have a Bible, we're going to start reading chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. 
And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed. And he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me into, you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight, and he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray that you uh, would reveal yourself to us from the scriptures that we read this morning. And in the same way that you revealed yourself to Saul, I pray that you would open our eyes so that we could see the light of who who you are. Jesus, I pray that you would help this text make sense to us. I pray that you would help us to relate to someone in the story. And that as you have revealed yourself to us, that we would do business with you accordingly. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This is a great chapter in the book of Acts. Um, one of the things that I enjoy about it is that it kind of gives you a little bit of backstory about who Saul is. And this great, uh, when you think about Paul and throughout the book of Acts and throughout Romans and writing a good chunk of the New Testament, New Testament, <clears throat> this is going to kind of start giving us an idea of who Saul is and where he comes from. Eventually, Paul would be a pastor. He would be a missionary. He would be a church planner. He would be uh, very pivotal in establishing the church that would uh, be in Rome and would uh, branch out to the rest of the world throughout Europe. Saul isn't the only person in this story, though. But, so there are actually four. So let's look at four people we meet in Acts 9, 1 through 19. And let's see what God wants to show us from the text this morning. First person, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Or, as you might hear me refer to him this morning as Paul. So that leads us to our first point. Is he Paul or is he Saul? Uh, If you're new to church, this may be very confusing to you. Uh, Which one is he? Trying to make sense of it. Uh, Some of you this morning may have been taught that Saul, uh, like he is in this story, is on his way to Damascus. He encounters Jesus. He meets Jesus. And Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul. 
that's not accurate. Um, we see that from the middle of the book of Acts, moving throughout the New Testament, um, we refer to this guy we are speaking about this morning as Paul. <clears throat> but before this, the Bible is very specific that his name is Saul of Tarsus. Um, so, first of all, Saul was his Hebrew name. Okay, Saul was his Hebrew name. This was the name given to him at birth. In the Hebrew culture, his name would have had a lot of weight to it, would have had a lot of meaning to the Jewish people of the day. Uh, the name Saul would have connected him to the tribe of Benjamin. This name probably was given to him in reference to the first king of Israel. So this was a very important name to Saul, named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was a Roman city, Roman town, and so Saul got to kind of enjoy the best of both worlds. Saul being born Jew and living in a Roman town. Uh, so anyone want to guess what his Roman name was? Paul, very good. You're, you've done your homework. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. And in Acts 13, he starts going by Paul. Not because God is going to change his name, but because it helped him to relate more to the Roman people, the Gentile people that he was going to minister to. And in Romans 1, um, excuse me, Romans eleven thirteen, it says that he, this is when he proclaims, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul says, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And this just helped him to relate more to them. He's going to go around the world preaching the gospel. He's going to plant churches. He's going to train up pastors, all things that he would do. He went on many missionary journeys. Uh, but he would also be met with a lot of challenges throughout his life. Saul or Paul uh, would be bitten, beaten. He would be shipwrecked. Uh, he would be snake bitten. Um, he would be stoned, whipped. This is just to name a few of the things that were going to happen to him. But like the Energizer Bunny, he just keeps on going. He just keeps on going. And so Paul wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament. 13 of the 27 books that you have in the New Testament he wrote. Uh, notice that I did not say that he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Because if you lump Luke and Acts together, which Luke wrote, uh, that would make up more than what Paul wrote. But he did write more books in the New Testament, but he didn't write the majority of the New Testament. Eventually, uh, his allegiance, his decision to follow Christ would cost him his life. He would be executed for sharing the gospel. But he is an amazing story of what God can do through someone who says yes to him. And so, as you think about Paul, one of the pillars of the church... When you think about his testimony, going from someone who wanted to kill Christians to a Christ follower and someone who was pivotal in sharing the gospel around the world. One of the things that I think we look at when we think about Paul is we look at that and go, Corey, how can I even measure up to a guy like that? How can I even relate to a guy like that? I mean, he went from extreme evil to... The biggest, one of the biggest pillars in the entire, in the entire Bible. As, as a matter of fact, if you really stop to think about it, besides Jesus, he's probably the single most popular character throughout the entire Bible that God used in an amazing way. How do I measure up with that? I'll just say this. Saul was a really big sinner in need of a really big Savior. 
And if that does not connect us to Saul, I don't know what, what will. We are all really big sinners, and we are, we're in need of a really big Savior. And if that doesn't connect us to Paul, I don't know what, what, what will. But let's check a little bit out about what Saul is doing in this text this morning. Look at verse 1 again. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters from the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone, uh, any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As the church begins to be persecuted, as believers in Jesus begin to be persecuted and they start spreading out all across the land, Saul makes it his mission to go and hunt them down and to uh, just completely do away with the message that they have to share. He sees it as his mission to completely squash uh, this movement, this movement called the way. These believers in Jesus spreading the gospel wherever they go. But he's going to have to take this show on the road because they have left Jerusalem and they've spread all throughout the countryside. So he packs up his stuff and he goes on the road and he has some Christians to arrest and maybe even some Christians to kill. And as he says here, as I read this phrase, breathe, uh, this phrase of breathing threats and murder. The closest thing I could come to this is when um, I mumble under my breath when I'm watching my daughter play volleyball. This is what I think about. Because I'm sitting there and I'm on the, on the, you know, the parent section over there in the bleachers. And I'm almost coaching her under my breath. All the things that I've told her during the week, right? You have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. Do this, don't do that. You know, and under one breath, so I'm, here she goes. She gets ready to serve and I start, all right, take your time, take your time. Take, all right, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And I just keep on this, doing it and, and move over, move over, scoot back over. Coach told you to move over, move over, move over, move over. And I'm saying it to myself. She can't hear me, right? But I'm saying it to myself because I and I start getting louder and louder. And then the voice of reason steps in, my wife, and she grabs me by the hand. And I remember, okay. All right. But it's almost like I can't contain trying to help her to be the best that she can be, right? Well, think about Saul in this moment. He has so much anger and hatred welled up inside of him that it's just coming out. It's just coming out of him. He's just talking about breathing threats and murder. Can't wait to get my hands on the I just can't hate, hate, hate. You know, maybe it's like the Grinch. Hate, hate, hate. Hate, hate, hate. Loathe entirely, right? They just just come that's just an overflow of who he was at this moment. He was just fine with Christians dying. We know this because if you read a little bit prior to this. At the stoning of Stephen, it was Saul who all of these guys would lay their coats at his feet before they went and killed Stephen. It says he was happy to see this happen. He was overjoyed to see this happen. But little does Saul realize, on his way to persecute and stop the effort of spreading the gospel, Jesus is going to reveal himself to Saul and it's going to change his life forever. And he's going to use him to spread the gospel rather than to uh, stop the gospel from being spread. Verse 3. 
As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Somewhere along the way to Damascus, Saul is confronted by Jesus. Later in Acts, Paul will describe this light as being brighter than the sun. Okay? Um, he also will later describe that he saw Jesus in the light. So not only did he see a light, he actually saw Jesus within the light. Um, and so he doesn't just hear him, he sees him. Get that picture in your mind. Prideful, angry, grumbling murder under his breath, trying to snuff out this gospel movement, coming face to face with Jesus himself. In all of his glory, the creator of the world and the created being coming face to face. So that's Saul. Let's skip down to the next person, Ananias, the disciple from Damascus. Look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. I want you to try to put yourself in Ananias' shoes for just a moment. You're a follower of Jesus. You've heard about this guy Saul. He's bad news. He has persecuted your brothers and sisters from Jerusalem. Uh, he's acquired the means. He's gotten the arrest warrant for you and all of your friends, possibly your family, to have you arrested, to have you thrown in jail, possibly to end your life. It's more than likely that you are on his hit list. Then you receive this vision. Try to play this over in your mind. Ananias. Yes, Lord. I need you to go to Straight Street. Got it. I know exactly where it's at. This is a side note for you. Straight Street still exists today in Damascus. You can go there. Pretty crazy. I know where that's at. I need you to go to Judas's house. Check. I've been there. I've had dinner there. I know where it's at. I need you to talk to this guy. He's from Tarsus. Great. His name is Saul. Hmm. Are you sure, Lord? Do you know who this guy is? You know who he is, right? He's speaking to Jesus. Go figure. You've heard all the evil that he's done to your people, right? So here's Ananias, follower of Jesus, fearful to say the least. Very hesitant to do what God is asking him to do. Now, we'll get to back to Ananias in a moment. Let's skip to the third person. Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. This is the very one who Saul is meeting face-to-face on the road to Damascus. And just so we're straight, the person that Saul is meeting with here on the road is not the same physical person that the disciples have spent the last years of ministry with. The ones that they, he's eaten with and, and went fishing with and sat around the fire with and told stories with. This person that Saul is encountering is possibly the same Jesus that we meet on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he is transformed, when his face changes. This is the deity, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And so, I like throughout all the Bible, anytime someone comes face to face with Jesus, 
it always ends the same way, with them falling on their face in awe and in worship. You know, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, uh, I'm pretty sure it's in John, when uh, Jesus is about to be arrested and they say, we're looking for Jesus. Are you Jesus? And Jesus tells them the name of God, the Hebrew name of God. He says, I am. And when he says that, soldiers, Roman, you know, the, the Jewish soldiers uh, all step back. Disciples, everyone step back and they fall prostrate before the Lord. They fall down before God, before Jesus in the garden. And you're like, wow. All because he says, I am. They had a meeting with Jesus. And it, and it led to them falling on their face. Now, I want you to notice that how personally Jesus takes the, persecu- his, the persecution of his people. How God takes the persecution of, uh, and how he responds to Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It would be very easy for Saul in this moment to say, well, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these people. I didn't do anything to you. But Jesus is very specific in how he identifies with his bride. If you do those things to them, you're doing those same, thing, same things to me. St. Augustine says it like this. This was the head of the body in heaven calling down on behalf of the members on earth. Let me just... If you are, in all of your efforts, trying to share the gospel with family, with friends, with people that you work with, and you meet pushback, or if people ridicule you for the stand that you take for Jesus. Here in this moment, I just want you to take courage that Jesus is identifying with you. And he's taking up for you. Shows that he values us, that he loves us, that he loves his bride. You ever heard someone say something like this? You know, I really don't have a problem with God. I really don't have a problem with Jesus. It's just the people in the church in the church that just drives me crazy. I can't stand them. That's why I don't go to church. I got no problem with God. I got no problem with Jesus. It's the people in the church that get on my nerves. Do you realize how disrespectful it would be for you to come up to me and go, you know what, Corey, I I have zero problem with you. It's your wife I cannot stand. I can't stand her. Now, let's be honest. Just in my wife's favor, it would be switched. Okay? Catherine, we have no problem with you, but your husband, he is a jerk. I'm just saying. You're welcome, honey. Um. But that's, when you say something like that to God, to Jesus, that's what you're saying. I can't stand the church. Well, that's the bride of Christ. And here in this moment, he is identifying with his bride. He intentionally reaches out to these two men. Both in separate ways. And look at how these two men meeting Jesus in this moment changes them. Verse 17. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has come, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately scales fell off. He was baptized. He ate and he was strengthened. Ananias is given the courage to do what God had asked him to do. Saul has given back his sight. It says he was baptized and 
He regained his strength. And if you look at the very next verse, we didn't read it this morning, but verse 20 literally says that he begins to proclaim the gospel. Immediately, he starts telling people about Jesus. So both Saul and Ananias lived in this form of darkness. Saul was blinded by his pure hatred for who Jesus really was. And for those who claimed that they were following Jesus. He thought he knew better than those followers of Jesus. And therefore he made it his personal mission to shut it down. Ananias on the other side was blinded by fear. He was a Christ follower. But he was trying to come up with any excuse that he could on why he could not obey. I think a lot of us can relate a lot to Ananias. But both of these men encountered the risen Jesus and they were both knocked down. One physically, both of them spiritually. And their eyes were open to the truth about who Jesus is and what they were able to do. What God using them in a certain way. So that's three people that we've looked at. Who's the fourth? The last blank I want you to write in your name. Now, if you literally write your name, you need to stand up and do some jumping jacks. Wake up a little bit. Here's the truth. We encounter Jesus every single day. I kind of hit on this Wednesday night. The truth of who God is and the truth of who Jesus is is found in your Bible. But the problem is we have to open it and we have to read it in order for it to, uh, for it to make a difference in our lives. We got to know it. 2 Timothy 3 says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We have to see ourselves in this story. Some of us might be Saul. Some of you might be here today and you're like, you know what, I don't like Christians. Uh, I wish they would go away. I wish they would quit trying to preach to me. I would just say this. I really pray that God would reveal himself to you this morning. Through his word, through this story, through what happens with Saul, I pray that God would reveal himself to you. I hope he doesn't have to reveal himself like, to you like he did to Saul. But if that's what he has to do to get your attention, I hope he would. I hope he would reveal himself to you. I shared with you Wednesday night about the story of the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so that you could see different ways in which God was reaching these people. Reaching different people. You know, God revealed himself to me at a youth ministry event with wrestling and free pizza. God reveals himself to each and every one of us in, in different ways. He sent Philip to help the scriptures make sense to an Ethiopian eunuch. Someone who was completely confused about the Bible. And God used Philip in an amazing way. Some of us might be like Ananias. We need to look at our own life and we need to look at our willingness to obey God when he calls us to serve him. You know, I share all of these stories uh, with these men so that you could look all the way from Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch to the rest of our text today. There's 40 verses. And if you look in those 40 verses and how God worked in four different people's lives, how he accomplished his will in all four of their lives, but a lot of it is their willingness to obey. And so all came from totally different backgrounds. All came from totally different situations. Yet the God of the universe met with each and every one of them. So what do we need to learn from that this morning? A few takeaways. Number one, no one is beyond the reach of God. 
It doesn't matter how bad you think you've been. It doesn't matter how far you think you are from God. It doesn't matter what sin that you think that has entrapped you so much that you can't even begin to listen to God. You are never out of His reach. I bet if you were to take a straw poll of all the people in Damascus, all the people in Jerusalem of the day, let's take a straw poll. Who is the last person that you could ever see coming to Jesus? I bet the majority of the people would have said Saul. There's no way in the world that that guy would ever choose to follow Jesus. I mean, he's literally trying to kill the people that follow Jesus. <clears throat> he's arresting him. He's putting him in jail. There's no way he would choose to follow Jesus. The problem is, we try to take God out of the equation. I once said, in a, I heard in a sermon, God plus one is a majority. That is proof because in Romans 8 it says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor the things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Saul was a bad dude. You can think of the most evil people that have walked the face of the earth. Saul was right up there with them. He, was, he hated the Christians. He wanted to kill them. He wanted to get rid of them. God is going to do something amazing in his life. You are not out of the reach of God. Secondly, salvation brings life change. When someone comes face to face with Jesus, they are never the same. Never. They change from the inside out. The person that you were before, that person is gone. Uh, sometimes we have some of those sin, sinful tendencies that try to hang on, but it should be a struggle to do those things, not a pleasure to do those things. And so when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it changes us. There should be life change. Second Corinthians, this is Paul writing this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul's also having to set some of the early believers straight in a church when they heard about forgiveness of sin and they were having this struggle. Okay, well... If God's grace is found when he forgives us of our sin, then we should just sin a whole bunch. That way God's grace, he could give us more grace. We want more grace. So we'll just keep on sinning. Let's see what he has to say. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. This picture of baptism, we are saying that we are with Jesus. We are identifying with Jesus Jesus was baptized not because he had sin that he needed to atone for. He was giving us a picture of what we were going to do. He was giving us a picture of what he would accomplish on the cross through his death and burial and resurrection from the grave. He's saying the old is gone when you are baptized. He's saying your old self is being laid to rest. And the new person that comes out of the water, you are to walk in a newness of life. It should change us. Salvation brings life change. Thirdly. 
Salvation brings a new purpose. If your Bibles are still open, flip over to Acts 26 with me. Acts 26. Paul is telling people and a king about his conversion experience, about when he came to know Jesus. And in the same way that God is giving me a new purpose, he does the same thing with you. That's what Paul is telling them about. God's giving me a new purpose. So standing before King Agrippa, Paul says this. Look at verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. I love this part. And when we had all fallen to the ground... I just saw all of them. I heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am with Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things to which you have seen me and to those in which I have appeared to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And here's why. To open their eyes so that they may turn from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among you who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul was given a new person, a purpose to be able to go and to proclaim the gospel to those who needed to hear it. So he went from being a person who was trying to do away with the gospel, do away with Christians, and now he is making Christ followers around the world. Not to prove that Jesus didn't exist, but to make sure that the whole world knew the truth about who Jesus was. Last point, salvation involves receiving a new family. I think one of my favorite parts of this passage, when you look at these two men. One, a persecutor of the church, who God will reveal himself to, Jesus will reveal himself to. The other one, already a Christ follower, but very hesitant to what God was doing in this other guy's life. Obviously, that would have been a very common response. Verse 17. So Ananias departed, he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, when Jesus saves us, we get a new family to grow with. We get a new family to do life with. We get a new family to serve alongside. Saul and Ananias, in this moment, became family together. They became brothers. And notice the language, that's what he says, Brother Saul. Uh, and this, this wouldn't have been one of those churchy terms that, like we use in Baptist church. You know, we're going to go down there and listen to Brother Landon preach. No, this was, they were saying to one another, you are my brother. You, we are family together. 1 Corinthians 12, Saul will soon write some of the great texts about the body of Christ serving Jesus faithfully together. Some of my closest people that I rub shoulders with in life. Some of them are family, but the majority of them are right here within the walls of this church. 
because we are family together. And when you become a believer in Christ, you get a new family to do life with. So my question to you this morning is, have you surrendered to Jesus in repentance and faith? If you have, if you have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you're following after Him, I just want to ask you, are you faithfully serving His bride? Are you serving His bride? Are you serving His church? Are you making Him known in the world? In your family, in your workplace, to complete strangers that uh, you encounter week in and week out. Are you making Jesus known? We are, that is one of our jobs. Go make disciples. This would have been Jesus' command to us. Go make disciples and then train them up to make more disciples. Train them how to be disciple makers. That is what we are to be doing. If you are a Christ follower, are you doing those things? Are you being faithful to do what God has asked you to do? Sometimes we're like Ananias and we're like, "Uh, we make excuses. I don't like really doing that part. I don't really like doing that part. Are you being faithful and obedient to God as he's asked you to do something? Secondly, if you have not given your life to Jesus. If this is something that you're struggling with, if this is something that you don't know, I just plead with you. Do business with God. Today is the day for salvation. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day for salvation. God has revealed himself to you this morning through his word. And I pray that uh, we would say yes to him. In the same way that Saul met Jesus on the road. You've met with Jesus this morning through the sharing of his word. And I pray that we not say no to him this morning. Say yes to Jesus. Let's pray this morning.